Hey, good morning. Glad you could join in again. Hopefully you've got your Bible ready to go because we're going to dive into the Word and we're going to pick up our study in uh, the book of Acts, uh, which we began some time ago as uh, um, as a study through uh, what I think is just such an important book for us to uh, become uh, familiar with or refamiliarized with in our time uh, as we can learn so much from the first century church, both in their practice, but above all things, the thing that we can learn is just uh, what it was like to see the Holy Spirit moving among believers in that time. They really didn't have uh, much else going for them. Uh, you know, you could think about by comparison, if we uh, look at the first century church, we consider our own situation in our modern technological age. Um, you know, we have the ability to do this, you know, to to broadcast a, from, a, from a mobile phone. We can put together a a Bible study and have it reach anywhere in the world where someone's got a cell signal. Um, you know, uh, we can get on computers and we can research information and learn and grow so quickly in our faith and begin to then use some of that same technology to share those things. Um, you know, and that's just a tiny little example of, of some of the differences between now and then. Um, but truth be told, if we consider how much we have access to today, the one thing that they had access to, or the one person I should say they had access to today, that we also have access to today, but in many respects they depended on him so much more in the first century than maybe we sometimes do today because we have so many other resources at our disposal, is that they had access, like we do, but they availed themselves so fully to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit had so much room to work with in those believers because they literally had nothing else. I don't say that to condemn us in our modern day, but the, the intent would be in learning from the first century church to avail ourselves to the Holy Spirit, that he might work in us and through us like he did with them. And in doing so, turn our world upside down as well. Uh, we certainly are facing um, uh, growing opposition to the gospel. Of course, that's always been true, but certainly I can speak in our Western culture what some of you around the world uh, have experienced for a good part of your lives. Uh, and that is a growing hostility to the gospel, to the idea of there being an objective, absolute truth uh, uh, given by God. Um, and, and as believers, uh, we need to rely on the Holy Spirit to stand against that, to be able to answer that, to be able to bring the gospel in that context. And so we can learn a lot from the first century church in terms of uh, the simplicity of their practice, being in the teaching of the word and prayer and fellowship, breaking bread together and such as, as a community who needed one another, uh, who leaned on each other for their um, daily needs and, and for fellowship. Um, we can learn so much. And I think it's worthwhile to go through this, this book so that we would glean from that and adopt um, some of the same mindset, maybe grow in our own dependence upon the Holy Spirit again like they did. A lot of good things for us to learn. So we left off last time uh, where the church had been growing and some of the Hellenistic Jewish uh, widows had been neglected in some of the daily distribution. Uh, and so uh, the disciples uh, said, well, look, it's, it's not really profitable for us to spend our time trying to meet that need concerning the other responsibilities we have. Uh, it's important for us to be about the prayer and the and teaching of the word. And so why don't you all pick six men of good reputation uh, with, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom and, uh, and choose them. Whoop, excuse me one second here. Let me, it's going to get a little rough. 
uh, and uh, and 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 we'll we will lay hands on them and appoint them to to take care of this matter. And so they did. And uh, so they chose six men who were of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and they uh, ultimately began to serve the people's physical practical needs. And so that was an important step in the church's early growth uh, and their uh, meeting of their needs. But it also pointed us to the fact that <clears throat> that every level of ministry in the church is spiritual ministry. Uh, you don't often think about people helping set up chairs or maybe drop off food at a food bank as having to be necessarily full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom and, and great reputation. We, we often think of that as sort of entry-level kinds of ministry. Uh, well, whether it is or not is not really the point. The point is that the Holy Spirit needs to be at the center of that. And so um, so they did that. And, and as it turned out, we'll see some of the value of approaching even quote-unquote, even that kind of ministry with a much larger sense of the need of, of God's hand being upon it. Because two of those uh, um, servants that were, that were appointed that day, uh, namely Stephen and Philip, will go on to have ministry beyond that um, that, was, uh, that we would look at and say, oh, well, man, now that's being used by God. Well, remember, uh, anything you're doing for the Lord is being used by God. And so we shouldn't necessarily put levels of, of prominence or priority to any of them, but rather should recognize that anything we do for the Lord needs to have the hand of God, up, God upon it, the powering of the Holy Spirit behind it. But all of it is a value in what God is ultimately doing. Uh, and I will say this, you know, for those of us that sometimes think we're in a position of ministry that um, seems insignificant, seems like it's not important. It's not the big job that, that I really wish I could be doing or something like that. A um, couple things. Uh, um, there was a, a pastor who uh, uh, in um, California who was teaching at a conference I was at, and um, he mentioned I was at the Bible college, and he was studying, and he was getting ready to go into pastoral ministry and all this kind of thing, but he was kind of serving at the moment and sort of a janitorial role. And so he was fixing a toilet and, and, uh, and it just, things went south and it just, it just, you know, it was just a mess and everything. And so after he finished all that, he, you know, he was kind of spending some time studying and reading and he was reading Spurgeon and Spurgeon made the comment <clears throat> in, in his, uh, this particular writing, I think it was letters to my, to his students. Um, he, uh, he talked about how, you know, do you ever feel like you're, uh, you're underused in your ministry? And he's thinking, yeah, you know, do you ever feel like maybe you're, uh, not reaching your full potential in ministry, and yeah, yeah, I kind of do. And he says, "Do you ever feel like you're like an inch and a half tall?" And he's like, "Yeah, I do." And the next line was, "Well, then you're an inch too tall." And uh, it was just, you know, he <laughs> shared it as a great lesson to learn. Like, hey, you know what? Um, you know, this isn't about me reaching levels. This is about me being faithful to what God has called me to, uh, and uh, and such. And so. Um, Warren Wearsby once said this way, said, you know, never, uh, you know, in talking about, um, you know, the passage in scripture that says, don't despise the days of small things. Um, you know, he said, you know, you never know when you're being measured up for something else. And so when we serve faithfully, um, whether or not other people ever notice it, God is actually using it to prepare us for other kinds of ministry. We're gaining skills and tools in this ministry that will ultimately serve in some way in other ministry. Think of David. Uh, David was a king in Israel, but first he was a shepherd, right? He learned how to tend the needs of, of, of the sheep and of the various uh, livestock and such. And, and in learning to do that and caring for them, 
he was learning some valuable skills when it came to being a shepherd in Israel. Same thing with Moses, right? 40 years uh, in the wilderness there, tending sheep for his father Jethro before God called him to lead his people uh, ultimately out of uh, out of Egypt. And so um, so Stephen, Philip, uh, also we see here uh, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, uh, Parmenas, and Nicolaus. Uh, they, these were all people that were called upon to serve tables, to wait on tables, to help bring food to people and make sure distribution of, of necessities was being managed correctly and, and, and in a spiritual way. Again, they were filled with the Holy Spirit uh, and with wisdom and had good reputation. And as it says in verse 7, the word of God continued to increase. When all of us are doing those things that God has called us to, the gospel goes forth, ministry takes place, the church grows, both in, in terms of its health and even in terms of its number. And so the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests themselves even became obedient to the faith. And here's where we pick it up in verse 8 of chapter 6 in the book of Acts. And Stephen, full of grace and power, uh, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, uh, rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And then they secretly instigated men who said that we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. That's a pretty quick dramatic change from waiting on tables to all of a sudden you're preaching the gospel and doing signs and wonders. And and in chapter 7, we'll see where he's actually now given opportunity to, to, to make a case before uh, the leadership in Israel in that. But let's look at this from verse 8. Stephen, full of grace and power, okay, full of grace and power. Grace, of course, is that, uh, that rich, unmerited uh, favor that God grants us. Of course, we think of grace primarily in terms of that by which we're saved through faith, right? Um, but grace is also something that is there daily to sort of sustain us and carry us. Um, you know, there's sort of an, an image of this in the upper room when Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples and they come to, he comes to Peter and Peter says, you won't wash my feet, Lord. This whole thing doesn't make sense. I should be washing your feet is basically the implication. And, uh, and Jesus goes on to speak about the necessity of letting him wash uh, their feet. And he, in that conversation, he speaks about how they're clean, but from time to time, they will need to get their feet washed. And so there is sort of this image of that daily sort of grace of God that carries us and sustains us, the grace upon which we stand not only for eternity, but even for each each day, grace sufficient for the day. Well, here God has filled him with power and with grace, certainly as he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's doing great wonders and signs among the people. Uh, he's doing miraculous things. The word signs is significant, by the way, because a sign points to something, Right. We've talked about this before when we spoke about the uh, reason for the miracles, the purpose of, of God using miracles in ministry. That is to ultimately point toward Christ, to, you know, to point towards something greater than itself. Uh, and, and so the, what he's doing signs, what he's doing is demonstrating that this is in fact a legit power of God and it will provide an opportunity then for him to preach about Jesus. And that will come uh, and is already happening because they accuse him of it. 
Now, some of those who uh, belonged uh, to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it's called, now that is generally held to have been a synagogue that was called that because these were Jews that somehow had been freed from Roman um, oppression in some way, and they had developed a synagogue there that sort of rallied around that kind of a thing. There's there's differing views on what that may have been about. Um, but here there's a listing of a number of different groups uh, that meet at synagogues. Those are the freedmen, the Cyrenians. Um, you remember Simon of Cyrene is someone who uh, helps the care of Jesus to carry the cross up the hill, that area of the world in Cyrene. Um, also the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia. When it speaks of Asia, we're speaking of Asia Minor, that area for example, where the letters to the seven churches were written, these seven churches in Asia Minor, that area there. Uh, if you open your Bible map, you'll see that pretty clearly shown. Um, Cilicia, though, is, uh, is, is interesting because Paul himself in Acts chapter 21 speaks of how he himself is from a city that is no small city uh, called Cilicia. And so what we don't know, and I wouldn't die on a hill for this or anything necessarily, but it's entirely possible that this <clears throat> this gathering here may have included Saul of Tarsus. Uh, we don't know for sure. Again, it's it's a bit of a stretch to say for sure, but it may very well be that, you know, whereas before we thought the first time we encountered Saul was after the stoning of Stephen, there's there, there may be a connection here, even in this passage here, that these may be among those who are rising up against Stephen. And he, because he's there, he, he likely could be part of that number. So um, anyway, just something to consider. In verse 10, it says that, uh, or I should say at the end of verse 9, it says, they rose up and they disputed with Stephen. They argued with him. Um, they, they pushed against his preaching and the miracles and signs he was doing. Now, it's significant that it is in the midst of him doing wonders and signs, uh, and as he's preaching, that they're pushing against him. Uh, again, the signs and wonders should give some validity, should give some weight to what he's talking about, but for them, it, it, it doesn't stop them. Um, when you are being used of God, uh, you not only should face opposition, recognize that you will likely face opposition, but sometimes it won't make any sense that you are facing opposition. Guys, don't you recognize that God is working in this? It doesn't matter. They're going to push anyway. Um, you know, it just goes with the ministry, whatever your ministry is. Uh, there's going to be opposition to it. Um, it's just, just what you got to be prepared for. And Stephen was. He was full of grace, uh, and God had empowered him. And here he was now, not just doing signs and wonders, but standing against the persecution that was starting to come upon him. And of course, if you're familiar with where this goes, it becomes uh, the ultimate intensity in persecution, as we'll see, not today, but next time. Um, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Uh, and so even though they stood against him and they argued with him, here's this guy that, quote unquote, was just waiting on tables. But all of a sudden now he's laying out a witness that they can't even argue with. Uh, the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. Of course, Jesus had spoken to his own disciples. Uh, Stephen was not among those, we don't think. I mean, he may, maybe he was one of the followers of Jesus during that time, but um, but certainly at this point he was a believer, but whether or not he ever heard Jesus talk about these things, we don't know. But Jesus did tell his disciples in Luke's gospel that there would come a time when they'd find themselves before magistrates and leaders and rulers, and, and they shouldn't worry about what they're going to say, but the Holy Spirit would give them what the words to say. Well, here we're seeing this in action, even as we've seen it with the disciples previously, as they stood before the Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees and such. Now Stephen 
being persecuted by those um, uh, by those of the various synagogues in the area there, now he is himself being empowered by the Holy Spirit, being given words to say, words of tremendous wisdom with which they could not find a counter. And so verse 11, since they couldn't defeat his arguments, they do what many people often do, and that is they begin to just sort of try and form a riot mob around him to try and silence him. So verse 11, when they secretly instigated men who said, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God, and they stirred up the people and the elders and scribes, they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council, and they set up false witnesses who says, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs of Moses delivered to us. So no doubt as Stephen is sharing about Christ, he is talking about as they uh, basically accuse Jesus of saying himself, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. Um, John explains that, you know, hey, he was speaking this about the temple of his body, not the physical temple. Not that he couldn't have done that with the physical temple, but he was speaking of something greater than the temple. He was speaking of his own body. Well, as, as Stephen uh, may very well have been sharing some of those same things, uh, they accuse him of this. Or maybe they were just accusing him of something uh, that got uh, Jesus, uh, 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 caused the ire of the Pharisees against Jesus as well. Um, Whatever the case, there's something beautiful in that association that Stephen has with Jesus. He's being accused of some of the same things that Jesus is being accused of. And while that is a, a, a form of persecution and it's going to bring tremendous uh, difficulty upon him, there is something beautiful about that, being associated with the Lord that way. Uh, earlier in chapter 5, we saw that uh, the disciples considered it a great blessing and honor to be persecuted uh, for, for his name's sake. And so Stephen, again, somebody who was completely unknown before just a few verses ago, has now gone from um, being an obscurity to standing before the leadership of Israel. And the snowball of persecution is growing and increasing as, as, as the minutes go by and as they raise up people to rail against him and, and falsely accuse him in that. Um, another thing that, that you know, uh, that Stephen is apparently talking about is something that gets them to feel that he's speaking against Moses, against the law that had been given to them. Um, again, we don't, at this stage, have the exact words that he was sharing with them so much, just that the Holy Spirit was giving him wisdom. But if he is speaking about something that leads them to think he's speaking against the law, we can fairly surmise that he may be talking about grace, you know, uh, the idea that Christ died for the sins of man, and so therefore, you know, the law has uh, reached its fulfillment in Jesus himself. That may be what he's talking about here. Again, I don't want to read into the text what's not there, but we'll see more about what was on Stephen's, uh, the words he was sharing as we get into chapter 7. We begin to look at that, uh, that, that sermon, essentially, that he gives the religious leaders uh, during that stretch. But they are accusing him of all these various things, speaking against God and speaking against the law, speaking against the temple, all these kinds of things. And they set up all these false witnesses saying that Jesus of Nazareth is going to destroy this temple and all this kind of stuff. And as they're railing on him, as they're accusing him, they look on him in verse 15, and it says uh, uh, in verse 15, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. In other words, completely at peace, completely untroubled, uh, unafraid, just at perfect peace in the midst of his circumstances. 
That is a total testimony of the Holy Spirit working in his life right there. Because they are, again, who is he? Like no one knew who he was prior to this. And all of a sudden now he finds himself uh, not only standing before the religious leaders, but standing in a place where he is very likely going to face their uh, punishment for what he's doing in that. Uh, and he doesn't have the benefit of being one of the disciples. And so, you know, it's not like the Pharisees are maybe given a little bit of sway because after all, the people are rallying around the disciples or the apostles. But Stephen's not one of them necessarily. And we'll see that, you know, again, I want to spoil it. So, but as we read chapter seven, we'll see that ultimately they take they take it out harshly upon him when he gets to the end of his sermon. So persecution just comes with it comes with the territory if you're going to be in ministry of any kind. And when I say ministry, I don't mean you have a label. You know, um, whether you're an evangelist, you're a pastor, you're a, you know, uh, an administrator of some kind, you know, title or not, you know, titles are irrelevant in, in the eyes of God. They, they are, they're a description of maybe what you do, but they're not a means by which we gain stature. They're just descriptors. When you're in ministry, all that means is you're serving God with whatever gifts he's given you and whatever call he's put upon you. So whatever you're doing in ministry, whatever you're doing for the glory of God, understand that it's going to come uh, with a cost. There's going to be those that will push against you. And don't think that if you're doing something seemingly off, you know, and unseen by anybody, that there won't still be at least spiritual oppression that follows that sometimes. If you're being faithful to the Lord, you're a target. And that's, you know, on the one hand, that might sound frightening, but it's actually a good thing. If they're shooting at you, you must be going the right way. So recognize that as you serve. Be encouraged to serve. Don't be scared of the fact that persecution may come. The days that we're living in, the call for ministry is an honor and privilege. It always has been. But in the days in which we live where opposition continues to grow against that, um, don't let that dissuade you. Don't let that stop you. Give God space to work in those moments. You don't know that he isn't going to fill you full of grace and power in that moment uh, to glorify him. So that being said, we'll stop there for today. I apologize a little bit. My, my head's a little thick as I'm still kind of going through this thing. My family and I, I appreciate your prayers, but thank you, by the way. Many of you uh, mentioned you were praying for us too. I uh, appreciate that. And, uh, you know, 10 days from now should be a very different story. Um, but my intention is to continue to post regularly, even though uh, I'll, I'll, there might be... Um, you might have to deal with me being a little thick periodically. So, all right. That being said, I'm going to stop there for today. And then next time we come into the book of Acts, we'll start to look at Stephen's uh, speech before the leaders, uh, the people. Uh, it's dramatic. It's it's interesting. It's a history lesson on Israel's history that he shares in in, uh, in brief, some of the high points of it. And he shares them in, with the intention of getting to a particular point that he shares at the end. It's uh, um, I don't know that we'll get through it in one sitting, although it's it's best to go through it in one sitting because it's really a great sermon. And um, so I'm, I'm, we'll see how we approach that. Still kind of praying about that a little bit. So, all right. Well, Father, we thank you so much for your grace, your goodness toward us. We thank you that uh, you've given us grace sufficient for our salvation, Lord, through the finished work of Christ. But you've also given us grace sufficient for each day that carries us through the difficult times and carries us in times when uh, uh, maybe we face opposition and even persecution. There's grace for that, and we thank you for this. And uh, we just pray that in these days that you would uh, make clear that calling you've given each of us, that we might serve and glorify you, and that we might do so fearlessly, unafraid, unashamed, unconcerned about what might befall us for doing it. 
Uh, Father, one of the beautiful truths that the Christian uh, can live in is that our lives, uh, since they were since we were bought at a price, we glorify you with our our bodies. You know, however long we live, whatever you've called us to endure, whatever comes our way, Father, it's what you have sort of laid out for us. Uh, And we just thank you that we don't have to be afraid of what the next moment brings. We don't have to be afraid if this even comes to be our end, because at the end of that, we end up being in your presence. So there's no need to be afraid, Father. Give us confidence and boldness and courage. Father, whatever you've called us to. And we just pray that, Lord, you would be glorified. We love you. We thank you and praise you. And we just want to give ourselves to you um, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks again for watching. Um, And uh, as always, if you want to comment or email or anything, you can reach out on our YouTube channel, on our our church's website, calvarychapelfranklin.com, my own personal website at parsonspad.com. And and, uh, and as always, thank you so much for watching. It's great to be able to spend time in the Word together with you. And I do pray that the Lord would go before you uh, this day and all that He has for you. So God bless you. We'll see you next time.